Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Yeah, so this is the last week, uh, this week in our I Am Peter series. Um, It wasn't necessarily going to be the last week in it, but I decided it would be the last week in it because Sim just said, well, do whatever you like, really, which is always dangerous. So he should know better than to say that to me. Um, so, So, yeah, so I thought we'd just sort of finish off our I Am Peter series this morning. Um, I want to talk, I've entitled this morning, Peter the Disruptor, Um, and I want to talk a little bit about some disruption that some of you probably are very familiar with. So if you've had children, you'll know what disruption feels like. Um, When we first had Grace, so Grace is now 21, some of you know Grace, Um, she's a lovely girl, isn't she? She's really very sweet girl now, very, you know, very well-rounded and very calm, very patient and and just lovely and and we're very proud of her, um, as we are all our daughters. Um, When, Eve, sorry Eve, we are proud of Um, When Grace was a toddler, Grace was anything other than a delight most of the time. She was really quite difficult, actually. And people that don't, didn't know her then um, and see her now, they don't believe me. They just think I'm making it up. But she was really, really challenging. And, uh, and I would say, people would say to me, oh, can you remember a time when you didn't have children? I bet it's just like, it's just so lovely. I'm going, yes, I really can. <laughs> yes, please take me back to that time. Grace had a, an incredible temper on her. And um, Every time we went to a toddler group, she refused to leave to the point where she'd be clinging on to the door or she'd refuse to get into the car seat. Has anyone done that move where you've got the child, the child is in the car seat, the child goes straight like that. And so you have to kind of like put your knee into the middle of the child to make them bend to then get the, the, uh, the seat belt across them. Anyone done that or is that just me? Yeah. Oh, good. Amanda has. That's excellent. Oh, good. A few more. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, Grace could be really quite disruptive um, and, uh, and I didn't find that disruption particularly positive in my life. Um, I found it quite difficult to deal with actually. Um, but that isn't the sort of disruption that I want to talk about this morning. I want us to look at Peter as disruptor because actually I think sometimes disruption and disrupting is exactly what we need to be doing um, but not in a destructive way. So we're going to read together um, from Acts 10. It's going to come up on the screen. So we're going to read a bit of a chunk of scripture here um, and then we'll move on. So Acts 10, uh, nine, verses 9 to 36. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat.'" Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. He was obviously a bit of a slow learner, a bit like me. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent Cornelius The men sent by Cornelius found where Simon's house was, which is where Peter was staying, and stopped at the gate. 
they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate with them, to have, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He was a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Peter at Cornelius's house. That might be a little bit of um, editing issue going on there. That isn't that. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he'd called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate and visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. There's an annoying fly around here. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God doesn't show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And we move on to verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. There's, um, there's a sort of movement uh, happening at the moment uh, in industry and in business. There's a, there's a group of entrepreneurs who are um, called the disruptors. And these, these people, these disruptors, younger people, are looking at the ways that traditional industries are run and saying, why? This is rubbish. Why, why, you know, we can do it better. We can do it differently. 
organizations, companies like Uber, for example, or Purple Bricks, the estate agents, are examples of uh, these industries where young people or young entrepreneurs have just sort of looked at what's going on and not accepted the status quo. They have said, no, something needs to change. We can do this better. We can do this differently. And they've challenged the um, existing, just the way things are done. They're, they're challenging that. And they're standing up and they're saying, you know, this doesn't need to be done this way. You've done it this way for 150 years. Why are you carrying on? Let's bring some changes. Let's bring this uh, into uh, a new uh, sort of... Uh, scenario, different, a different way of doing things. And there's been a series on, uh, on Radio 4 called The Disruptors, and they've been sort of putting uh, these entrepreneurs against the traditional uh, industries, if you like, and they've both been, been sort of saying their piece about, uh, you know, kind of like how it's run traditionally and how uh, the disruptor is coming in and challenging the status quo. The disruptor says, forget the rules, obligations and regulations. All that disrupts is good. All that stands in the way deserves to fail. Their mantra is move fast and break things. Interesting mantra. There's even um, a disruption guru, I found out through researching this, called Clayton Christensen. And he says that disruption displaces an existing market, industry or technology and produces something new and more efficient and worthwhile. It is at once destructive and creative. This movement is kind of born out of confidence, a confidence that these young entrepreneurs have, frustration, perhaps, in, uh, in the way things are being done, and the realization that perhaps it can be done differently and they can be the answer to that. Um, and also the, uh, this idea that old assumptions need challenging and, uh, and, and changing. The, uh, the disruptors are all about upending traditional ways of doing things and providing a better service and doing it differently, quite simply. We've looked um, at a variety of aspects of Peter's life, haven't we? We've looked at Peter the healer, we've looked at Peter the preacher, um, we've looked at Peter identity in, in Christ and, and, um, and, and that as well. So we have looked at a whole range of um, Peter's life and ministry over these last four weeks. Um, Peter was a loyal and committed servant of God. He, um, he was observant, he observed the Jewish uh, rituals and laws, but he was also prepared to step up in his ministry, as, as we've seen. But here we see, I believe, we see God taking Peter on to another level, which is something we've been talking about, isn't it, in our church. Um, in terms of his understanding of the gospel and who the gospel uh, is for. We've also seen God taking, we also see God taking Peter onto another level in terms of his standing or his falling in his community as well. Quite a challenge. And as the story unfolds, we see Peter uh, is himself having to challenge the status quo. Having to challenge not just in, within community the status quo, but his own thinking and his own assumptions. Taking on the role of disruptor amongst the circumcised in his community back in Jerusalem. We witness in this passage that we've just read a remarkable realisation and a moment in history. A remarkable realisation and a moment in history. It's interesting to note that when we think Acts was written, um, sort of, Jesus died AD 33. Acts was written sort of in the 30 years beyond Jesus' death. 
I think it's really interesting that in that period of time, the good news kind of got a bit stuck. That, that, that it was already the message of the good news was, was being compromised, actually. And, and these are people who had first-hand experience. They were with Jesus. They saw it firsthand. And yet, in that short period of time, it got stuck and it needed challenging that the good news, that the Holy Spirit is there for all. So God showed Peter this very clearly in, in the vision that he gave um, of the, the cloth being released from heaven and, and the animals of all different kinds. And, and Peter's assumption was, no, these are unclean. I can't, I can't eat these. And God's saying, no, do not call anything unclean that I have created. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. And then it takes him three times to see this vision, to start really grasping this, which is reassuring, I think, for all of us. So Peter was beginning to realize that God does not show favoritism, that we're all invited to experience his spirit and the good news. And that's really exciting that we're all invited. Now, most of us in this room, we know that. We know that. But what I want us to think about this morning is, um, is perhaps some of the assumptions that we make about who the good news is for, about where God can work, about how God can work. And so I've come up with the ABC of disruption. So it's ABCD. Do you see what I've done there? It's good, isn't it? So this is so that you can remember, okay, and, uh, and hopefully uh, take something away that you can be thinking about, thinking about in connect groups as well. So what was Peter being taught in this story as, he, as, he, um, as he's being challenged to go to Cornelius's house? Cornelius, a Gentile, yes, a God-fearing man, but a Gentile. So it was still a big ask for Peter. It was still a big kind of like um, changing and challenging his thinking and his understanding. And then what do we need to take on board in terms of our learning and, uh, and what we do with the message that we have, that we have been given? So what assumptions need dismantling? So assumptions, A, okay, A for assumption. What assumptions need dismantling? It was a big t deal for Peter to, to be hosted by Cornelius as well, let alone to go to the home. But he did it. He was prepared to stay. He was prepared to build friendship. He was prepared to overcome his assumptions and his understanding of, of the message. He laid aside in that moment as he, as he went to Cornelius' home, he laid aside uh, his ritualistic beliefs about what was clean and unclean around food. And, and he just kind of allowed God to work through him. It was also a massive deal that the Holy Spirit filled the Gentiles it says in, in verse 45, the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Peter had a revelation in that moment of a God, of an impartial God, a God for all, a God who is there for all. Not just the few, but he also had a revelation of how God was working in people's lives. Despite what Peter was doing, God was already at work. 
And yet by going into that situation and speaking truth into that situation, somehow that released the Holy Spirit to really start his work. Are there situations that we need to be speaking truth into to allow God's Holy Spirit to be free to work? It says, doesn't it, the truth will set you free in the Bible. Are there situations, are there people's lives who, who maybe don't, we're making the assumption they don't know God. We're making the assumption that, they, that God isn't at work in their lives. Are there people and, and situations that we need to be taking the courage, having the courage to speak truth into and then allowing God's Holy Spirit to work? It takes courage because we don't know what's going on. The worst thing we can do is to make an assumption. Instead of making an assumption, why don't we talk to people? Why don't we ask them? Why don't we get alongside people? Why don't we take that risk of looking a bit silly or breaking the rules as we see them? Speaking the truth and letting the Holy Spirit work. How powerful. Wouldn't it be brilliant? And, and maybe you've had those situations as well. So if you've had those situations where you know that's happened, call that back to your mind and remind yourself that God is at work despite you, despite me, yeah, despite my assumptions. God is at work very often. And so let us be people who are prepared to speak truth and put aside our assumptions. So what are, what are my assumptions? Who am I prepared to welcome into my friendship group? And when I say welcome, I mean really welcome into my friendship group. Whose no have I said for them? So Peter might well have looked at the Gentiles and thought, no, the, the good news isn't for the Gentiles. The good news is for us. Don't say other people's no for them. God is at work. So, so what assumptions do you need dismantling and what can we learn from Peter? Secondly, what barriers do we put up? I wonder um, what Peter and his team, his sort of disciples, were thinking as they journeyed to Cornelius' house. I, wondered if, I wonder if they were thinking, what, what's the point of this? You know, what's going on here? Um, what's God up to? I wonder if they were apprehensive because they were kind of stepping out of their comfort zone. I wonder if they were apprehensive about the, you know, what they were going to find or what they were even doing. Or was it part of their year of adventure? <laughs> were they, was it an adventure for them? Soon enough, Peter did realize that God was at work. He wasn't expecting it and neither were his team, as we've read. But he went there in obedience. And although God did have to convince him through giving him the vision three times. He went and he obeyed. And then in verse 47, uh, Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Peter realized at that point that he couldn't be the barrier to the Gentiles, to Cornelius and his house being baptized. He couldn't be that barrier because of his uh, lack of understanding, perhaps, which is brilliant. Surely no one can stand in the way because they saw God at work. They saw the Spirit at work and the barriers came down. 
a moment in history. Peter was prepared to obey, to lay aside his human understanding and bow to a greater God who was clearly at work in the life of Cornelius and his people. And I think Peter can see that things are going to be different, that things are changing and that God's at work through him as well and in his life. And God's at work outside this box that he's constructed, perhaps, for God to be in. And his role as disruptor of the status quo is beginning to reveal itself. And this story also reveals something of our shared identity in Christ. When we become Christians, when we're baptised, when the Holy Spirit lives within us, we have a shared identity. Our identity is in Christ. Yeah? (laughs) That's kind of what we believe. And if our identity is in Christ, then we start to look at other people through the eyes of Christ. And we ask God to give us his eyes to look at the world. And we do that. We do that through prayer. We do that. I'm sure you do that as well. That God, just give me your eyes to see this person, to see what's going on in this person's life or to be able to love this person. Because it's not always easy to love, is it? So through our shared identity, we um, in Christ, we then rely on God to give us that strength to, to be able to see people through his eyes. And indeed, Jesus, in, um, in Galatians 3.28, Paul says, doesn't he, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And as I was reading uh, for, for this morning, I came across a book that um, I haven't, by Brian McLaren, um, called, um, Paul, you might have to remind me, called Why Did Buddha Jesus and Muhammad crossed the road. And it's about how do we actually, uh, in, in a sort of multi-faith society, how do we live together and how, do we, how are we inclusive? Um, and, and he talks about this, uh, there's an Irish theologian called Peter Rollins who, who's done some thinking around this. And he says, if there's neither Jew nor Greek, that's our religious identity. Neither slave nor free, that's our socio-economic identity neither male nor female, our sexual identity. So we're leveled. Our identity is in Christ. These barriers do not exist because our identity is in Christ. So to be truly in Christ doesn't mean embracing yet another identity, but rather laying down the various identities that we would otherwise, that would otherwise define us. Now, that's really interesting, and that needs more thinking, I think. That, that, for me, needs more thinking through. But I think what we can't deny is that the barriers are down. Because if we really believe Galatians 3.28, then we are all of equal value and worth, no matter our religious, socioeconomic, or sexual identity. And we must remember that we are all only in Christ through grace, not because of anything we've done. So how does that affect the community of our church? Not just our church, but the church. If our identity, if we fully live in the, in the, the knowledge that our identity is in Christ, what barriers do we put in the way? What barriers do we need to dismantle in order to be welcoming? In order that the, the Holy Spirit uh, and the message of the good news reaches out to all and everybody. 
How can we ensure, how can I ensure that I am not a barrier to another person finding Jesus? That my assumption, that my prejudice, that my attitude does not prevent somebody else from finding Jesus or being part of my church community. It's a big challenge. And the third thing, the C, how are we prepared to connect? One of our values here um, at Freedom Church uh, is everyone's welcome. And um, as a leadership team, we are doing quite a lot of work at the moment around our values and then um, not changing them, but just making them a little bit more succinct Um, and thinking about um, how then we as a church really all embrace and embody those values um, and are living those values out. And this, this idea of everyone's welcome, um, we had a quite a long discussion about this on, on Monday night, um, to, to, to really challenge ourselves about this welcome thing. Is everyone welcome? How do we ensure everyone is welcome? How do we ensure people are welcome beyond the coming in through the front door? How do we ensure people feel part of and included and belong to this community, no matter their race, gender, sexual identity, whether they're rich or poor? How do we ensure people belong? How are we connecting with one another? And do you know what? Friendship is at the heart of the gospel. Friendship is at the heart of the gospel. Peter chose to stay at Cornelius's house after he'd spoken to them all. Now, he could have done uh, a preach and run. He could have just gone there, said what he needed to say, uh, you know, felt like he was obeying God in that sense. Yeah, I've stayed, I've, I've, I've preached the message, and now I'm off. But he didn't. He stayed, and he shared hospitality with Cornelius and his household. And I I just think that's an amazing picture because how often do we kind of think we're too busy or I can't, you know, I can't be reaching out, I can't be being hospitable to that person because it's just there's too much going on. But if we're going to grow and if we're going to be a church and a community that really does connect with one another, we have to invest in friendship. And we have to also be friends with people who are very different to us. We have to invest in friendships that are perhaps not easy, that are perhaps challenging to us as well and that perhaps we have assumptions about that are wrong. And there's a, sac- there's a sacrifice there, perhaps. But if we're going to create a community, and if we're going to be a community that is everyone's welcome, then we have to be prepared to take that step and to go out of our comfort zone. Peter did it with Cornelius, and... Um, He stayed and he shared hospitality. And that was difficult for him, not just because he was a Gentile, but because of all the ritualistic aspects of that as well. That was a challenge to him. He had to sort of put those things to one side and be prepared to stay and build friendship. If he hadn't, he would have preached and run. Jesus was called a friend of sinners and Friendliness was so essential to Jesus' identity as well. If it, if it wasn't, then he wouldn't have been called a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. And that's, just not, that's not just people that we look on and think, you, we're all sinners. And, we're, and, and people in, in, back in the day, uh, in Jesus' time, sinners were people who you know, were sort of outcasts of society very often. That was just an assumption made. So friendship, Jesus' friendship touched people deeply. 
and said, you're accepted and you're loved. And I think there's a challenge there for, for all of us, for, for me and, and for all of us, as we seek to build community. And I really believe, and in the light of what's happened this week, I really believe churches need to be places where friendships flourish. Churches need to be places where friendships flourish, where people are genuinely loved and cared for, where genuine friendships grow between people who are very different from one another. Why? Because our world is in a really fragile place right now, a really fragile place right now. And there's there's a lot of talk, a lot of rhetoric, there's a lot of evidence that politicians are also feeling that um, that fragility. There's there's the them and us. There's fear of the other. And anyone who stands up and who is other is at risk of of you know being hated and and vilified just because they're different. The fact that our government closed the doors to refugee children coming in, there's a fear of the other. There's a fear of what's going on. And fear makes people close down, doesn't it? It just makes you kind of want to hunker in, stay where you are, know where you're safe, and not take a risk. And if we do that, our communities are going to become more and more... um, decimated they're just people are not going to they're going to just want to stay with those that they know and they're not going to take a risk and reach out to those that need to hear the gospel and so I I really believe that what we're seeing Peter doing here is a real picture for us of how friendship and how we need to be prepared to go out of our comfort zone and to build friendships that will make a difference The rise of them and us is not good news. But we have good news. We have good news. We have a message of hope and inclusion that goes beyond all of those barriers because our identity is in Christ and our identity is Christ. So we have a message that is good news. It breaks down barriers And it celebrates our common humanity. And we all need to hear the message, don't we? We all need the good news. We all need to be in relationship with God. That's how God's created us. That's what God wants. And so in order to do that, we need to be building relationships and friendships. As followers of Jesus, we are people who are prepared to reach out. We are people who are prepared to serve the poor. We are people who are prepared to bind up the brokenhearted and to go the extra mile, to deal with the mess and to see lives transformed. We are prepared to do that. And I've sat in meetings recently with agencies who are saying it's so brilliant that the church, the, you know, agencies are wanting the church to get involved in so many aspects of, of life now. So when I go and talk about CAP or something like that, they think it's so brilliant that the church is stepping up. And when I talk about the extra support that we can give to our clients and see them through, um, through that extra support of the befrienders, they're like, wow, this is incredible that you're prepared to do this is incredible. People are seeing that that Christians have something different, that there is something different, that we believe something different, that we believe people are worth it. 
And it's really exciting to see that. I think it's a really exciting moment in time, actually, because the, the resources of the local authorities and, and the resources in the world are so scarce now and so scant that they're realising, actually, these are people who are actually bothered about other people. And I've heard that said. I've heard that said by the local authority, that actually you are people who are bothered about other people. You're bothered about it, and you get involved. And that's such a, that's such a brilliant thing. Ten years ago, there was a lot of suspicion around churches being involved in community and, and in, in helping other people. But those barriers are coming down because we are people who are bothered. And so this message, as we go out there and, and as we have our preconceived our ideas and our assumptions, let's try and put those to one side. Let's not put barriers in the way of people finding hope, finding Jesus. And let's go and speak truth into those situations so that we see the Holy Spirit at work in their lives, in people's lives. That's disruptive. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about Peter being disruptive. Because actually then Peter had to go back. If we read, we're not going to read it, but in chapter 11, Peter went back to the, the church in Jerusalem, to the Jews in Jerusalem. And, he, and they were cross with him because he'd been to Cornelius' house. And then as he told them what had happened and as he unpacked the story, then he realized that, that then the Jewish people realized that God was at work and something amazing was happening, which is really exciting. So we have a message of hope and inclusion that is good news. There's a lot that's going on in our world that isn't good news. But we have something that is good news. So let's not let our assumptions, our barriers, and our lack of connecting with others prevent that good news from being heard, from being seen, from being worked out in our lives and in our communities. Peter was a man who observed the law, who loved Jesus, and who got it wrong over and over. He was a man, though, that God was entrusting to be a disruptor, but a positive disruptor. Hear me right. When he went back to Jerusalem, he was criticised for spending time with the Gentiles. But then they had no further objections, it says in verse 18. And praise God for what he was doing amongst the Gentiles. So I just want us to spend a couple of minutes um, just thinking about, if we go back to the last slide, Andrew, what, what are your assumptions what are your assumptions as you, as you look out onto, as you think about the people that you know, as you think about your workplace, as you think about the people that you uh, are connecting with on a daily basis? What are your assumptions? And, and perhaps what do you need to challenge in your own mind um, in order to step out a bit? What are the barriers that you put in place. Be honest about this. What are the barriers that you put in place to other people being part of this great story? Think about your identity in Christ. Think about how we are all one. We are all one. There is no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male, no female. We are one. Our identity is in Christ. What does that mean for you, that your identity is in Christ? And how are we prepared to connect? 
and go deeper with people and connect with people who perhaps we wouldn't naturally connect with and make the effort? How are we prepared to reach out? How are we prepared to allow God's Spirit to work through us into those situations so that we can see lives transformed and so that our community is a, is a really vibrant, healthy, and it is a vibrant, healthy community, but even, even better, even better, and perhaps even messier as well so that we're actually seeing great stories of the way that God is transforming lives. And this message, this good news, is having an impact in such an incredible way, in ways that perhaps we could never have imagined uh, a year or two ago. So just spend a couple of minutes thinking about that, and then if perhaps Jim and the band could come back on. He's chatting. If Jim and the band could come back up, and um, and we'll just finish with a, with, with a song. But... Just spend some time thinking about that, asking God, asking him by his spirit how, uh, how you need to be challenged and, um, and take this thing forward. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.